Hi, this is Tom Darling, your host for Conversations with Classic Boats, the podcast that talks to boats. And this is part two of Clem and Jim's IOD adventure, the story of bringing a classic boat back to life. In part one, we talk with Clem, my longtime sailing friend, and Jim, a master boat builder. Part two tells the story of rebirth, launch, and delivery. The formula is a familiar one storytelling and pictures and look at the gallery of this episode at conversationswithclassicboats.com more and more pictures let me set the scene june 20 longest day of the year there we are on the dock at newport shipyard in newport rhode island it's sunday morning we have whisper a holland mega yacht to starboard we have spartan the awesome Bristol-based New York 50, 73 feet of Harrisoff muscle boat to port. But everyone on the dock is looking at us. 33 feet, 6 inches of reborn wooden international one design. Royal blue, gleaming, rigged and ready to go. The buzz was around us. Did you see that IOD on Doc 10? I feel like an NBA reporter waiting to interview LeBron, surrounded with fans armed with autograph books. I'm standing on Doc 10 with my friend Clem Wood, the new owner of this craft. He's nervous. To break the ice, I say, would you like to hear my story about Fisher's Island Sound? Clem, who's sailed with me for 42 years, looks a bit confused, says, well, sure, how about that later? I said, are you nervous? He said, a little, but let's just go. And we hoisted sails, and off we went. We had waited a whole 24 hours for a nasty front to crisscross New England. Now we had 35 miles as the Gulf following the ferry to move a redone 1959 classic keelboat to its new home in Stonington, Connecticut. An hour later past Castle Hill, in a delightful morning sou'wester. My friend, the new owner, had become a new man. Now we were headed to Fisher's Island, a pile of rocks bordered by Rhode Island Sound to the south and Fisher's Island Sound to the north. Clem was nervous. His normal boat partners were not there. The crew was me and his brother, a freelance translator and an experienced coastal sailor. But this was all new, this size of boat, all wood, a boat roughly as old as our spouses. We were about to sail the opposite direction that we had traveled six years ago. That time we were sailing a J-70 straight out of the box to Newport from Stonington. Two of us battling our way into a backdoor cold front, nor'easter. Around Point Judith in the Rips, we finally took a hard left to the north. We were bouncing a brand new 23-foot boat like a canoe descending Class 3 rapids. We were headed now in the right direction from our trip six years before. Newport to Stonington. With currents, 10 hours with breeze, who knows how long without 
either one. As Melville said in Moby Dick, take out the map. What was our route? Three lakes, Newport to Point Judith. Eight miles as the seagull flies, but not as a classic boat beats to windward. Then Point Judith to Watch Hill. 20 miles of flat water, insane motorboats, and lobster pots. And about seven miles after Watch Hill Light, weaving through the multiple reefs, marked by unlighted buoys, on our way to making landfall in Stonington, Connecticut. On a sunny day, with a nice southwest breeze, a day at the beach, a walk in the park. Any way you cut it, unless it was on the nose for every one of those 35 nautical miles, with our classic Woody IOD, we should be averaging between four and five knots. Do the math. Seven to nine hours exposed to Block Island Sound. More than half of it going west with a lee shore to our north with no harbors to run to. My good friend Clem has taken on the boating equivalent of cleaning the stables of Hercules. He's taking a 60-year-old boat and making her a winner. To sail a beautiful boat. Now there's a reason to sail a beautiful boat. People pay attention. An IOD, an international class, is 33 feet plus of pure classic one design six meter. Remember back to our six meter episodes and one Henrik Andersen, the Swedish owner of Gin, a sister ship to Goose, the fastest six ever. That skipper of the 1948 Stevens design pointed out that when a child drew a boat, it looked like a six meter. And that's what a boat should look like. Let's remember that phrase. What a boat should look like. That same phrase comes to mind to describe an elegant design like the IOD. What a sailboat should look like. Now as we do every episode, let's give a quick shout out for our conversations with Classic Boats partners. Windcheck with Windcheck Magazine covering the waterfront from New York to Cape Cod. The June issue has a stunning picture of Fidelio, cousin to Finisterre, and our feature on the International Six Meter. In Sawanica, there is, in Oyster Bay, a shrine to the Six Meter. And on their webpage this month, they cite our June Windcheck article on sixes. Their webpage reads, and I quote, a wonderful article on the history of the international six-meter class and the central role that Suwanaka has played over the years. Check it out. And always a big shout out to Mad Martha at Team One Newport. No one is happier to see boats on the water than Martha. Everyone needs new gear for the 2021 season, right? Find it at the Thames Street store in Newport or online at team1newport.com. And of course, our new friends at Spin Sheet in Annapolis, covering the Chesapeake top to bottom. See the piece for their classic yacht page on the Dyer Dow. It's on their inside back cover in the July issue.
In part one of Clem and Jim's IOD adventure, we set the scene for an odyssey. To prepare for this, I studied a book so detailed, so polished, that it's like Ancestry.com for IODs. The International One Design World Class published a book in 2012 to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the founding of the class in 1936. In the back is an appendix that includes the provenance of every IOD known to exist. It's a map of the patterns of boat migration for a class. There are some predictable and some random patterns. For example, wood boats appear to retire from and go to the same places. Long Island Sound to Fisher's Island Sound, Marblehead to Northeast Harbor, and just about anywhere to Chester, Nova Scotia. Following, we think, the demand for and the cost of good varnishers. Clem's boat is breaking the mold by staying home, getting redone in Newport, but returning to her home port of Fisher's Island Sound. Let's go back and review the genealogy of the boat that has been acquired. Known as FIS-7, the book says prior owner, Bill Reed, builder, Oz, Norway, that's A-A-S, not O-Z, 1959, dash mahogany, hull, 459. Hull number one was actually 1935. Golf's birth was the work of one Herman Swede Witten. He was a stalwart of the six-meter class going back to the 1920s. He was the only American to win three Olympic golds in keelboats. It was Herman Witten and his sail training school in Oyster Bay, New York, Long Island, that established the first elite sailing center in the United States. The boat that shows gleaming cobalt green, blue emigrated to the U.S. in 1959 with eight others to be the training fleet for a sailing program launched by this greatest of American big keelboats. The name was a function of its sail number, number seven. The seventh letter of the alphabet is G. The nautical representation for G is golf. So what happened after the center wound up in the 60s? It's another case for boat genealogy. The mystery begins. She became part of the Long Island fleet, named, or a noted, Numbers 32 LIS, known as Golf, then renamed Inkling. The IOD appendix then reads, Bete Noir, original sail training boat bought by Jim and Chris James as Inkling, 1981, sold to Herb Stein, brought to Fishers by Boots Parker. We bring in our six-meter guru, Peter Taylor, to pick up this story, which comes from John Romanier's book on sailing at Fishers Island. So Golf was 24 years old when she left home as one of Herman Witten's former trainers and sailed east, east to a pile of rocks and two golf courses surrounded by fast-moving saltwater, part of New York State called Fishers Island, another enclave of keelboat racing 
which had sampled designs from Harrisoff, Looters, and Rhodes for their club boat. The IOD came late in the game at Fisher's Island. Quoting John Rumanier from his book, Sailing at Fisher's, The search for a new racing fleet went unsatisfied for more than a decade. Ensigns, Solings, Etchell's 22s, Watch Hill 15s, all are good boats, and all were tried, considered, and rejected as the Fisher's Island Yacht Club's new class because none of them had the classically sleek appearance that had been deemed necessary for a Fisher's racing class since the Harrisoff boats and the Looter 16 came to West Harbor in the 1920s and 30s. The long search finally ended, almost accidentally. Romanier goes on to tell the further story of how golf got to Fisher's Island. Quote, the first wooden IOD on Fisher's is the import of one Steve Cook, who in 1983 found a wooden boat with an asking price of $3,000. Adjusted for inflation, that's probably twice my friend's purchase price. Cook offered him $6,000 and sailed the boat, aptly named to preemptive bid, the 90 miles east to West Harbor in Fisher's Island. The rest of the creation myth of IODs on Fisher's revolves around one of the island's intrepid female sailors, Boots Parker. Steve Cook's boat was sitting on the boatyard the next spring when one Esther Regal Parker Wright from the DuPont clan that populates Fisher's, a.k.a. Boots, saw the Cook boat and was reported to say, What's that? I want one of those. But Steve Cook wouldn't sell so she had to look elsewhere. In Romanier's account, Boots Parker hearkened back to her youth and J-boats. I thought the IOD looked just like a small J-boat. I thought that's what a sailboat should look like. It was Boots' role as Pied Piper over the next five years of the 1980s that created the fleet at Fisher's Island. As Romanier tells the story, she bought a boat in terrible shape and learned how to repair it in tutorials. Then she bought two more boats, which created the base of the Fisher's fleet. One of those last two boats was number seven, Golf. Subsequent additions to the Fisher's fleet came in the form of syndicates. Former Sailing World editor John Burnham, one of the entrepreneurs behind Flotilla, a sailing portal in Newport, Rhode Island today, came to IODs together with his group, the Norwegian Wood Syndicate. This syndicate model spread the cost of maintaining old wooden boats, and it guaranteed you a crew base in the face of work and other leisure commitments. After 10 years, by the late 1990s, 10 IODs, half sailing as syndicates, were doing 30 races a summer. That's a great classic boat success. My friend Clem Wood had a ready-made syndicate. There had been three of them as a team on the J-70, which had sailed together for five seasons. Now the opportunity to step up to a gentleman's boat presented itself, and they seized it. So we call this next chapter... J.T. Jake comes to town. We joked that the boat came with its very own boat right, and that was Jim Thompson Jr. of Newport. 
Jim had a boat carpentry shop in the Newport shipyard that smelled of cedar and epoxy. In part one, Jim talked eloquently about the challenges and satisfactions in building and rebuilding vintage boats. This was his third IOD restoration on his resume, one for his father, Allegra, one for a friend who had spent 10 years with his boat in the driveway, call it Jester, and now the 1959 boat from West Harbor via Oyster Bay. How well do I remember it when Clem and I visited the site of Gulf's cosmetic surgery? We went to a shed in South Middletown. It was warm in April. We drove from Jim Thompson's shop at 1 Washington Street to see a Gulf stripped and ready for restoration in the back garage shrouded with plastic behind an auto body shop. Wooden boat restoration. Not glamorous. Jim did his custom work back at the shipyard. So there we met a young boat restorer who had done his apprenticeship at the International Yacht Restoration School, a Sorbonne of boat restoration there in Newport, and then going on to Maine, which is the promised land of wooden boat restoration. The young apprentice and the master Jim reviewed the situation with us. Just a word about visiting your boat in an initial stage of restoration. It feels about as comfortable as visiting your relative in a hospital. You're afraid to ask too many questions for fear of getting the wrong answer. Will they be okay? Yes. When will they get out? Not sure. Probably in June. No discussion of cost. Never a discussion of cost. When we arrived, the young apprentice was contemplating the task of pulling one of thousands of mahogany bungs, those little wood plugs that cover the screw heads in a wooden boat. There are about 2,200 of those screws in an IOD. From there, he would have to explore the integrity of the mahogany planks. No problem. No new planks needed. Phew. Master Jim would go on to explain the intricacies of splining, the low-tech but highly effective way of making old boats watertight. Jim explained what looked like an IOD bottom molting before our eyes was really this expert technique of splining. This was the cosmetic surgeon's trick to smooth and tighten an IOD underbody. Working under the hull, they drive out the old oakum from between the planks and then drive in long strips of cedar wood. The plugged hole is then planed down and multiple layers of compound applied and sanded before the paint job. The result is a stunning monocue eggshell-like hull surface. The top sides would stay the same color. In the picture gallery of this podcast, the IOD Reborn, you can see the entire gallery at conversationswithclassicboats.com. And you can follow the progression from the bare wood to jewel-like topsides and white bottom. The new golf looks like the work of an art restorer. It could have been a Ming vase. 
could have been an abstract expressionist painting. But it's a wood boat made of oak and mahogany. But it's fitting that number seven will receive a new classical name, Atesian, after the Greek north wind. For Jim, that is the ultimate satisfaction, to make classic wood watercraft whole again. Jim's the antique IOD doctor. Technically, we were about to sail an antique. What was it like to be out to sea in a precious antique? We were about to find out. The launch. Good to his word, Jim Thompson Jr. gave a call a week before the June 17th launch and asked us to be present on the 18th. When we arrived with a mid-sized Audi, stuffed to the gills with equipment, food, coolers, the boom strapped, duct taped to the roof, we looked like refugees fleeing a war zone. The former owner, Bill Reed, had driven me up in his smart car, up rickety Route 1, reminiscing on past regattas. When we saw the boat, it was a breathtaking blue. Sitting on the float at the shipyard, as we said, across from a Ron Helen mega yacht, which sported three 20-foot containers of gear sitting up in the parking lot. People came by, yachties on the dozen mega yachts nearby, to admire. My friend Clem was as proud as the recent grandfather he had become in the past 12 months. Our next issue was the weather looked odious for our planned departure. When we rigged and loaded the boat on Friday, we were mentally prepared to delay. A menacing cold front was lurking. We would wait to Sunday if necessary. We sat and tinkered. We went to lunch in Bristol. The storms that ripped across Rhode Island at 5 p.m. Saturday confirmed our suspicions that we were far better to be at the dock. The maiden voyage, the delivery. Sunday dawned dry and lovely. The mega yacht dock was quiet. Yachties asleep after their night at the candy store, the watering hole of Newport waterfront fame. At 8.24 a.m., we pushed off the Newport shipyard dock, tacked to avoid the fishing boat pier, and threaded our way in a five-knot west-southwest breeze past the 12 meters anchored off Goat Island. Count them. Columbia, Nefertiti, American Eagle. We tacked west to pass Fort Adams and head in, into the still-ebbing south current across the channel. Escaping the evil mixmaster of Class Castle Hill's tides and currents, we tacked southwest into the light sea breeze. And we tiptoed upwind towards Point Judith. At 11.15, right on schedule, we tacked west to Round Point Judith and headed for the Rhode Island Beach shore to avoid the east-flowing current. Point Judith was a maelstrom of fishing boats, lobster pots, current, but quiet returned as we slipped to the north towards that south-facing Rhode Island shore with its beachgoers and umbrellas. We slipped on towards Watch Hill Passage, Ghosting with the fair current, we were taken with the slippery, quiet charm of a brand-renewed wooden classic. 
there was not but a cup of water in the bilge. All is well at eight bells as we closed in on Watchill Passage at five knots and three knots of current on our tail. The most fun you can have in a boat going four and a half knots. That's what Jim said in part one. We were having it. We ran the gauntlet at Gangway Rock, picked up the boiling, flooding current, and headed in past the breakwaters at Stonington Harbor. Our schedule for an on-time arrival, we arrived at 16.30 at the mooring in Stonington Harbor. At the Watawanek Club, on the last available mooring, the furthest north, the new Tubiatesian had her back to the whir of the Northeast Corridor Amtrak trains on the tracks 20 boat lengths to the north. Uh, this is easy, right? Figure 40 miles of sailing, 8 hours. The IOD adventure of Clem and Jim had become the extraordinary IOD venture of Clem, Jim, and Tom. It was magic. Hail Atesian. And now a coda. That story I wanted to tell at the beginning of the session. Now this story was my first encounter with a place that we were going to, Fisher's Island Sound. It was the 1970 Block Island race. My family was campaigning a 30-foot boat. We were taking my high school fishing buddy, who thought it would be a lark to take a nice sailing trip, we headed out for the traditional memorial race, which is to block around it and back. On the way out, we managed with a brand new boat to hit a rock, come down hard on a ledge, past Horton's Point on the Long Island shore. By the time we reached Black Island, we had recovered our nerve and headed west, standing in second place in a freshening easterly. I now switch to present tense. We are headed for Race Point Light. My older neighbor, who happened to be our contractor, was on deck with a lamp, directing me to sail, quote, at the red light. Before you know it, large shapes are flying by on my left. That's not what was supposed to be there. The coast is supposed to be on the right. Yikes, we are not going into the race. We are in Fisher's Island Sound. Where's the chart, I half-choked. Oh, from down below, the sleeper neighbor produced a chart. Not a chart, but a placemat of Fisher's Island Sound that says, not for navigational use. It's three in the morning, and all we have is an SO placemat to go by. By now, my father, in his infinite wisdom, had come up with a plan. Quote, keep driving straight. So for one terrifying hour, we whizzed by unlit buoys and rock piles. When we passed the clumps at the western end of the sound, it was getting light. When we exited Fisher's Island Sound, we vowed never to come back. These are the sailing myths that get passed from generation to generation. These are the memories of the ocean. So thanks to the thousands of you for listening, and thanks to Clem and Jim for the time away from their busy lives to create this two-episode story of golf becoming a Tishan. 
remember to subscribe, listeners. Give us a review and a rating. That helps us to attract new partners as we expand across the country. Read SpinSheet's website in July for our feature on the Dyer Dow. And WinCheck Magazine and Online will be carrying this IOD adventure in its August edition. We'll be back in a month with a new story on how the boat that every baby boomer coveted came to be. One part boating history, one part boating mystery, one part boating history. Hint, if you go to Mystic Seaport the weekend of July 31st, you will see a whole flock of these boats. So, subscribe, Apple, Google, and now Spotify, or on the website at conversationswithclassicboats.com. And come back to listen to the podcast that talks to boats. This episode was written by Tom Darling and produced by our new producer, Griffin Bengruff. Welcome, Griff, to the Conversations family. Talk to you next time. And we'll roll the old chariot along. We'll roll the old chariot along. We'll roll the old chariot along. And we'll all hang on behind. And a drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm.